So just like I was talking about seeing those red berries on the tree today, feels good. Feels like spring has finally sprung and here we are. It has been a rough winter in a lot of different ways. I know for some of you, very personally, your hearts have been wounded and grieved. And just for us as a nation, it has certainly been a winter of discontent in many ways. So it's good that spring has come, and here we are, and we can see the signs. But even more than how it feels or what it looks like, this is how it sounds to me. I don't have music appreciation to thank for that. I have Looney Tunes. <laughs> that is Rossini's William Tell Overture. And I could not for the life of me remember the name of that. And so I sent out, I described what it was. I sent it out to a number of different people here at the congregation, all kinds of different ideas. And in fact, I got the right thing back. And when I went and looked it up at Wikipedia, it said, yes, this is used in animation to signify daybreak. So it's a daybreak time of the year in many ways, springtime. Now, along with all those buds that you will see shooting up, you'll also be seeing a number of different things that read kind of like this. Get in shape for spring or spring into action. Or finally, something that if you don't already feel bad enough about your body, how will you look in that bathing suit this summer? A playing on some of our body image issues, a little exploitative in many ways. Now, that aside, physical fitness is a very good thing. It's something I've come to treasure within my own life, and especially the last five to six years, in terms of being a good steward of my body and the energies that this universe has bestowed upon me. But physical fitness has its limits in terms of personal growth, because it is only part of the question. As a friend from seminary once asked me years ago when I was struggling, she said, how is your soul? How is your soul? So I want to ask you right now, how is your soul today as the season starts to change? And as the earth warms up, we recognize that it is not just the earth that is warming up and it goes through that out of necessity. But we are asked a question as well. How can we warm up too because spring is a time of openings time of closing downs as well but openings time of heading out the passover story that some of you grew up perhaps celebrating that starts about a week and a half from now it is not just a story of the delivery from slavery to freedom it is a story of transition of moving from one way of living to another way of life springtime is a time of turning it over of planting the seeds that we may see only, hope to see only months down the line. A time of breaking up commonly established patterns and perhaps taking a different look at our existence and at our life. For some of us, we take spring break trips. And that's wonderful. It is great to journey out, but even more, it is the journey in. As the prophet Hosea invited us to do in the Hebrew Scriptures, the prophet said, Break up your fallow ground. 
Break up your fallow ground. Turn it over. Find a different way of relating to your life. This is very much a springtime invitation. Break up your fallow ground. See what lies there in the soil that perhaps you would not have seen if the soil would remain the same. It is an invitation to investigate and to understand for all of us here the sources are of unhappiness and the sources of our happiness. Those places within us that we might feel stuck, where the artery feels shut down with plaque, overcome with hurt feelings or sadness or anger. Which very often, if we can pay attention to those things, those are the places that our spirit might breathe the freest. Because also at this time of the year, we are invited and you are invited to enter into those places of a deeper thriving so that you can and we can cultivate a deeper commitment to higher living. This message series I start here today is about cultivating that deeper connection to higher living through daily spiritual practice. One of our core values here at Wellsprings. And maybe you're asking, well, why start a spiritual practice? A number of different reasons for this, but I'm going to give you three right here. You should start a spiritual practice or maintain it or grow it if you have one already. If you find that you are fighting the same battles year after year after year, that you are going through the same exact struggles and you wonder, will it ever get different? Well, break up your fallow ground through a spiritual practice. Another reason you might want to start, commence or build upon your spiritual practice is that you are in between ways of life. That you are experiencing, whether pleasurable or painful, some of the rites of passage that all of us must go through. That is taking you from one form of life to another. And then finally, perhaps you are recovering in this season from an old pain that finally you have come to peace with. And you are looking to maintain progress. You are looking to maintain greater health, greater wisdom, greater understanding of your life. That too is another reason to commit to a daily spiritual practice. This is what we say here at Wellsprings, one of our core values and what we call our DNA. We encourage each other to have daily spiritual practices so that we are always connected to our spiritual source and the identity of our community. It is spiritual practice about connection, about connecting into life with those ties that bind. So just as nature awakens, we do not put ourselves back to sleep. We are called to awaken here. And this is a tradition that is really quite old within our Unitarian and Universalist traditions. Throw our great prophet in summing up why he went to the woods in the first place to live deliberately. He said these words. He said, I know of no more encouraging fact than our unquestionable ability of ourselves to elevate our lives. But by a conscious endeavor. It is something, he said, it is something quite good, he said, to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue or so to make a few objects beautiful. But it is far more glorious, I tell you, far more glorious to carve and to paint the very atmosphere of each and every day to affect the quality of each day. That is the highest of all the arts. Now, people can recognize, I see some of you recognizing the beauty, the truth of what Thoreau, our great, one of our great prophets, wrote. But then come those excuses. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. I don't know where to start. 
Or perhaps you're feeling that although you would love to affect as Thoreau enjoined us to do the quality of each day, the quality of your days, you might feel, well, this is too selfish. Spiritual practice is too private, too inward. I have to be effective in this life if I want to get any good done. Well, what I want to ask you, if that's your response, is how can you affect the quality of your day when you are just trying to manage the days? People who say they don't have enough time for a spiritual practice, I think that's like blaming a car for getting off the road for an oil change. The car cannot run all the time. It will break down and you will break down unless each of us, unless each of you finds our place that we can go inward and reconnect and draw and build strength and solace. Because spiritual practice is not an abstraction from living It is a preparation for life. And instead of being private, in fact, it is the key. If you look at so many of the great social prophets, such as Dr. King, he says here, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of this world, but in a humble and in a loving spirit. This gives us strength for the journey and strength to fight The correct fight in this life. Now at the outset. If you are just beginning or want to begin a spiritual practice. I would tell you do not worry at all about the perfect style. Do not worry about the right outfits. The right accoutrement. The right clothes. Thoreau was right in this way. And I say this as a person who is a bit of a clothes horse himself. Thoreau said beware of any adventure that requires a new wardrobe. This is akin to what a running friend of mine, when I started running a little less than a decade ago, and I don't run very much anymore because these now almost 39-year-old knees don't quite do what they used to do when I was 32 or 33, and yes, I know you're pitying me for the fact I'm almost 39. (laughs) My friend, who was a marathoner, very accomplished, he told me, don't get the right shoes right away. Learn who you are on the road first. Learn whether you pronate, whether you supinate. It's all about how we turn naturally our feet when we walk or when we run. Learn what surfaces you will run in. Learn how many miles you want to go. Learn who you are on the road first before you find the exact form that fits for you. I have to tell you, I get a lot As a clergy, a lot of mailers from catalogs trying to sell me really cool spiritual stuff. And there's great things in there. There are great objects. But I got to tell you, getting the newest meditation cushion, organically made, free trade, offered $175, Finding the right shamanic images, the right spirit animal guide, the right books on prayer. Well, let's just say my own bookshelf and my closets are littered with ideas and purchases for beginning spiritual practice that were soon discarded. When you start, you will not know your form as of yet. So don't prematurely bestow an identity upon yourself before you've learned your own personal spiritual practice style 
the thing at the beginning of a spiritual practice. To borrow the words of the poet Rilke is to love the questions because you will have plenty of them. You will have many more questions than you will have answers. So just commit to something. Give it a start. It may not be the perfect thing. There is no such thing as a perfect thing. And just allow yourself to be surprised. Love the questions in your heart and pay attention to them. And also as well, folks, keep your expectations very, very low. Which is to say, keep them reasonable. Do not start out and say, I will realize complete and total inner and outer peace and my life will radiate joy and love for myself and all about me. <laughs> you realize that already, have you? Okay, we'll talk afterward. Just say this. Let me sit in peace right now. Let me offer a prayer in peace right now. That's how it builds. It builds slowly. It builds carefully. Now, also, when you start, this is kind of a cool thing. You will experience extremes very high and also sometimes quite low. I love the story that I've told before, but I keep coming back to myself. I'll share it with you again. The story of the initiate, the new Buddhist meditation student who had just learned with appropriate care and attention to follow his breath and meditate half hour, hour, hour and a half, maintain his focus, learn to know the contours of his own mind and his own heart. And he was meditating one day. And the Buddha appeared right before him. And he was so excited, his breath began to quicken. He got up off his meditation mat and he went to his teacher who was meditating himself. He said, teacher, teacher, I have seen the Buddha. And the teacher calmly looked at the student, addressed him, and said, return to your meditation mat, focus on your breathing again, and I'm sure the Buddha will disappear. <laughs> it's not about the highs. I mean, I've got to tell you, in the first month that I had really committed, I found my voice in my spiritual practice, which is a mixture of meditation and prayer, kind of a contemplative prayer practice that begins with the breath, begins with finding and focusing on what's already inside of me, not naming it too quickly, and then offering it to God in prayer, and then ending with something like the serenity prayer or the Lord's prayer, or sometimes when I'm a little anxious before bedtime, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Whatever works, whatever gets you through the night. I have to tell you, within the first month of really committing to that practice, I had a really cool experience where I was sitting there in my practice and my hands sort of conjoined together and held open because I like to pray with my hands open to be receptive. Well, the only way I can describe it is that my hands expanded to the size or my perception of my hands expanded to the size that it felt as if my hands were as big as the entire room. I've been told, actually, those kinds of things happen. Our perceptions become altered. They are cool, but they are not the point. And in fact, the highs of beginning a spiritual practice can become an addiction. They can become an addiction when we sit and we experience only marginal peace or a quiet moment. We will come to question the very ordinariness of our existence. 
And we will lose the capacity of simply being still. And knowing that being still is the threshold and the gateway to experiencing the sacred. And seeing it not in the high, but in the common and the everyday. At the same time that there are highs, there are also some very drastic lows when you start out. There is frustration that you won't get it. In fact, of finding peace, you may find the opposite of peace. You may find that your mind, to use the great Buddhist phrase, is a complete monkey mind hopping from branch to branch, picking up a banana, eating it, not even finishing it, throwing it to the side until you can get the next shiny toy, the next thing you can cram in your gob. It's the same reason that a baby cries. Because its yearning to grow outstrips its ability to realize the means of its growth. When we begin, when you begin, you will be experiencing parts of yourself in the same way that when you go out running and even run for a while, you might pull something unless you take it slow and are careful with yourself. You will be experiencing parts of yourself that you have not in quite a while. And so I want to encourage you, don't run from the aches and the pains. Don't force it either. But instead embrace and understand them. This is true literally for those of you who engage in body work as spiritual practice. And the way that I understand learning to deal with these aches and pains is that all of us have to embrace our inner Nixon. As in Richard Milhouse. Now, for those of you of a certain generation, certain voting type, the idea of me telling you that you should embrace your inner Nixon is probably abhorrent to you. But this is what I'm talking about. See, that part of ourselves that experiences the aches and the pains spiritually, it's the part that forgets it is very, very rarely the crime. It is the cover-up that most bothers us. The crime in this case is the afflictive emotion. The crime in this place of the place that you cannot feel forgiven or the place that you cannot offer forgiveness. And so we spin out into catastrophe. We spin out into fantasy. We run away from our lives. Remember, it is the cover-up and not the crime that causes us the problem. Because spiritual practice, all of us will realize it is not sweetness and light. Not all of it. Spiritual practice that is just positive. It is a form of thought control, a form of mind control. Remember our friend Stuart Smalley. You are good enough, you are smart enough, and God darn it, people like you. The only problem is Stuart has to say this every single day and he never seems to really believe it. Now, I don't question the value of a mantra or an affirmation. It can help remind us who we are and who we can be. But I want to tell you and encourage you, ask you, to go beyond imposing a word upon reality. Because imposition is a way of concealing reality from ourselves. It's akin to an outsider, an expert who sometimes we hire to come in and clean up our lives. Now, well-intentioned or not, when that person comes into a problematic situation and attempts to impose a solution without really understanding the situation first, well, all I can think about is a rack. We are built the same way. We are not built in such a way that we truly can grow by an outside imposition upon ourselves. First, we have to try and understand the raw materials that we are working with if we want to build something eventually of true substance, true value. 
Yeah, absolutely. You get it. It is about practicing a show and not a tell form of spiritual practice. It is about exploration and not expertise, especially in the beginning. Spiritual practice can reveal to us who we are. I think in a way few other aspects or few other ways of relating to life can. And what is, what is, what will be revealed to us? Well, it's pretty cool right now that actually even before I knew the exact dates of this message series and launched it, I knew a book would be coming out. It's by a guy named Dr. Andrew Newberg. Any of you know that name? Any of you know that name? He teaches at UPenn and he actually started out in a form of medicine that doesn't sound to me all that sexy. Radiology. But it's emerged into a form of practice, what he calls neurotheology. You remember that ad from the 80s? This is your brain on drugs and the eggs drop into the pan and they fry. Well, he takes a look at it from the opposite direction. He takes a look. This is your brain on spiritual practice. And he studies the brain, the ways in which we are hardwired to grow. And so he has a new book that's coming out, coming out Tuesday, called How God Changes Your Brain. And it's very universal, very inclusive, a lot of different understandings of what the divine is and can be for us. And someone who read the book and told me about it said, well, it's really about how spiritual practice changes your brain. What Dr. Newberg has identified in people from all different kinds of tradition, and in fact, no religious tradition at all who have committed to a spiritual practice, is that the attributes of loving kindness, of wisdom, of patience, Compassion. These things are native to us, and the experience of transcendence, of moving beyond ourselves into a deeper way of life, these things are absolutely native to who we are. We are hardwired for this experience. We, all of us, can grow naturally. Don't to violate who we are. Don't to burn down the village of our lives in order to save ourselves. It is hardwired within who we are. This is finally and fundamentally the most salient difference between dogmatic religion and progressive religion, like Unitarian Universalism. We say that before any text or before any tradition, first came the human experience. First came a mind that said, wow. Or hearts that knew its own aches and pains and knew healing. It is not that we disregard teachings and texts and traditions. We don't. We just say they point to something bigger than any one tradition can ever contain or exhaust. As religious liberals, we say that we can have conceptual diversity. In fact, invites conceptual diversity in terms of how we understand God or don't understand God. But then we can have at the basis of who we are, and this is what we grow out from and what we grow into, a deeper experiential unity. That all of us can know and grow and share and like can recognize like that patience, that compassion, that wisdom, that deeper love, that higher love that is inside each and every one of us. And also, when you have a spiritual practice... You will recognize that not all your experience is the same from moment to moment. And in fact, some of your experience is not at all trustworthy. And if you see, about three weeks ago, a really stunning report on 60 Minutes 
about the fallacies of what we consider to be eyewitness testimony. We get a lot of stuff wrong, especially the stuff sometimes that we consider that we are absolutely certain, absolutely sure of. When we engage in regular spiritual practice, we learn over time in small ways what parts of ourselves are truly trustworthy, what aspects of ourselves are truly beneficial. We can start to recognize the pressure points, the chronic pains, and the truly lasting sources of fulfillment, the ways into real insight. So next week I'm going to talk about how we can work with others to find the trustworthiness within our experience and live with each other honestly as we practice together. The final word I want to leave you with tonight, and it's a word native to so many different religious traditions, is this. When you start a spiritual practice at the beginning, at the beginning you have a wonderful opportunity to realize something. It is called beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is when you can recognize almost as if for the first time those red buds on the tree. The flower that perhaps you have not seen in quite a while. And you can say to yourself, creation is here for me. Creation is ongoing in our midst and the story of our lives is not finished. We don't know the end of the story yet. It goes on. And that is beginner's mind. And that is the blessing of simply starting. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Spirit of the unknown, open road. Give us strength and courage enough to take a step out and beyond what we know already so that we might become what we will be in this life. Let us know that already out ahead of us is the Spirit, inviting us on beyond our expertise, inviting us on beyond our knowledge, inviting us on beyond, on beyond. Let us commit to the arts, each in our own way, to awakening. And through awakening, let us all recognize the glory and the beauty of this day that we share. Amen.